We're in our series about living in abundant life, the abundant life that is on offer through Jesus Christ as we work through John's gospel. And here we are in chapter 11, looking at the story of Lazarus and him being raised from the dead. And this morning, out of that passage, I want to talk to you about how you can live in your calling. How that abundant life can be available to each one of us as you live in your calling. Because purpose and calling and meaning are massive deals, aren't they? For every single one of us. It's a huge thing in culture and society. What is our calling? What are we supposed to be doing with our lives? And as we pull some of this passage out this morning, I believe God has got some words for us. And in this, we've got an example of Jesus, of how we can live in our calling. And I want to focus on two key things. Firstly, what is it that Jesus was doing? What is it that Jesus was doing here? And secondly, and I think really importantly for us, where? Where was he doing it and who with? So what was he doing And who was he with and where was he? Now the first question, I know what you're saying, is pretty simple. He was raising a man from the dead. But there's more, surprise, there's more to it than that. Because here in John's Gospel, we see a whole uh, series of miracles. And this is the seventh one. We've seen them over the last few weeks. The seventh and final one in John's Gospel. Now, elsewhere, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, you've got Gospels which do have miracles in them, and in those, they're described as miracles. They are miraculous wonders. But John's Gospel's a little bit different, because in John's Gospel, they are signs. They are signs. Each one of them is a sign. And what Jesus was doing, and what John was writing, was a series of signs pointing towards Jesus, pointing towards the Father, pointing towards the kingdom. So as you read each of the miracles, as we reach the end of them, this chunk of uh, the book of signs at the beginning of John, we've seen these signs pointing to, to God, the Father, pointing to the kingdom and pointing to who Jesus is. So what Jesus was doing wasn't just a miracle, I say just, it wasn't just a miracle, It was a sign pointing to something else. And what's really, really interesting for me is where he was doing it. I think there's huge significance for us in where he was doing it. He was doing it. Well, let me read you at the beginning of... uh, I'm going to skip right back to the beginning of chapter 11, actually, just to give you a bit of background. It said, um, in in verse 3 of chapter 11... The sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. He was doing this amongst his friends. He'd gone back to his friends, to the place he fitted in, the people who knew him and loved him, and he loved them. I had a friend once. Um, when I was 10, and, uh, or 10, 11, uh, and uh, a mate who I met at primary school, and we went on to secondary school together. 
And he lived around the corner from me. And we, I think his mum had been to church a couple of times when, you know, he was younger. He'd been maybe once, wasn't all that interested really. And I, as a slightly uh, idiotic, naive 11-year-old, thought, I know what he needs. He needs to come to church with me. So I said to him, I said, Mark, come to church with me. He said, yeah. I said, Mark, come to church with me. He said, yeah. I said, Mark, come to church with me. Eventually, he came to church with me. And he quite liked it. There were some other people our sort of age there. He got on all right with them. The next week, I said, Mark, come to church again with me. He didn't come. Monday morning, I said to him, where were you? He said, well, I was in bed. I mean, he was 12 probably by that time. So the next week, I said to him, come to church with me. And Sunday came. And I thought, I know. And I went round to his house at half past nine in the morning. And I knocked on the door. And Mark's mum answered the door. And she said, John. I said, hi, Mark in. She said, yes, he's in, in bed. Do you want to come in, have some breakfast? I said, no, we're going to church. And I want Mark to come with me. She said, well, you better go and get him. So up I went into his bedroom, knock, knock, knock on the door, opened up the door. I said, come on, Mark, threw back the covers. We're going to church. And off we went. The next week, he didn't come again. So the next week, and he should have seen this coming, I went round again. In I went, got him out of bed, dragged him into church. And that kind of went on for a few weeks after that. Eventually, Mark came to this uh, kind of a camp, youth kind of event that we were doing and uh, we'll go into. And at that, absolutely nothing to do with me, he found the Lord. He experienced and met Jesus and has been with him on that journey ever since. Hallelujah. And I realised, looking back at my, what was probably an early form of evangelism, based around idiocy and a little bit of bullying. (laughs) I see that all I was doing was in a context that I had access to, being a sign pointing towards Jesus. Not even the greatest evangelists of our age would have had access there. Because Mark's mum would have answered the door and gone, who are you? And you're not 11 and you're not going up there to go and wake Mark up. I could, because he was my friend. And I believe that what we're going to unpack some more of the scripture around this now, but I believe that we are all called in exactly that way. Each one of us to be signs of the kingdom. Signs pointing towards Jesus amongst our friends, our colleagues, the places that we find ourselves in. And I know what you're saying. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, John, I understand this. I wish you'd put some more scripture in, and I will in a second. But if only, if only you had some kind of visual representation to show us what you mean. If only you'd spent the whole of yesterday trying to make some signs to point us towards what you're saying. Well, good news, here's one of them. I did uh, A-level design tech and art, I'll have you know, as you can see, it's paying off. 
So this is a sign. This is a pretty simple, straightforward sign. It's a clean, well-made sign that does exactly what it says on the tin. This sign points towards Jesus. Now, this sign is great. It's well-made, it's clear, it's sturdy. You could put it anywhere, and it would point towards Jesus. This sign I would compare to some of the great evangelists. Billy Graham, Nicky Gumbel, anybody who you think who's spoken to millions and millions around the world about Jesus, people who know their scripture inside out, people who can speak to anybody, have access to anybody. So that's one kind of sign. But I think in this passage today, we see some other signs. This is another one of them. This one still points in the same direction. But the journey is slightly different. This sign does things in its own unique way. It does things in its own unique way. And I think that's what we see Jesus doing here. I know we've not read it, but I am just going to, if you've got a Bible, it's page 1077 in the, in the pews in front of you. Because I just want to just give us some context as to how Jesus ended up where he ended up. The beginning of chapter 11. We've got Lazarus being sick. We've got Mary and Martha, who Jesus knows and we've heard about before. And they sent a word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now when Jesus heard this, let's skip to verse 6. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he said... He stayed where he was for two more days. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Because when they wrote to him, the one that you love is sick, they wrote to a healer who was one of their best friends. The implication there is Jesus come and heal him. A friend asking for something that has kingdom value is perfectly sensible and logical, makes complete, total and utter sense. But he doesn't do it. Because Jesus is petitioning the Father. He's petitioning his Father in heaven and saying, Lord, what am I called to do? What is it that you want me to do? Now when the disciples, you see, got their head around all of that and that they weren't going... After these two days, verse 7, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you there and yet you're going back. They tried to persuade him against it. So here we go, he's going, right, I know what I'm doing now. And then wise voices close to him around him are telling him no. He's tuned in to the Father. And he's taking the radical, brave step to do the journey differently, to do things in the way that he is called as he tunes in to his Father in heaven. So that's another sign. I've got another one. I've got two more, something to look forward to for everyone. Here we go. This one is my next sign. Now, I think this is a really significant sign for all of us. So this one, again, points in the same direction, pointing to Jesus. But this one, it wouldn't quite fit in everywhere, would it? 
This one, in some circumstances, because it's a bit jazzy, if you can't see it from the back, it's kind of a bit funky, it looks a bit different. It would fit in brilliantly in some places and stand out like a sore thumb in others. But yet it still points to Jesus. And I think this is a sign about where we are. It's what I was saying about our friends. It's really interesting, I think, as uh, Jesus arrives in Bethany. Verse 17 of chapter 11. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So he's arriving in a Jewish, Palestinian funeral uh, ceremony. Now, in this country, we do funerals in a very uh, different way. We privately mourn for a bit, have half an hour of public mourning, and then go back to trying to do it all on our own. In this culture, there were seven days of public mourning. And for the Jews, it was an important thing for your soul to go and pay your respects to those who died. So when it says many people were there, that gives us an indication that this is what is going on. Many Jewish people had gone. And the ceremony, the first three days of it, were weeping. Just non-stop weeping. And there would have been ceremonial processions down to the tomb to go and pay your respects. So the timing has Jesus arriving around the end of this weeping time. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Jesus, and I'm not, just to clarify, if I was Jesus and I turned up in that place, having petitioned my father, knowing that I was there to raise Lazarus from the dead, I'd turn up and go, guys, it's all all right. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. Come on, let's go and get Lazarus. But do you know he didn't? He said, take me to the tomb. Jesus wept with them on their days of weeping. He mourned with them. Jesus, you see, got involved in what they were doing. Jesus was a Jew like them. Jesus did what they expected a Jew to do. In those circumstances, Jesus honoured his friends and what they were doing. And from within that place of drawing alongside them as they were, as one of them, he was able to point to his Father in heaven and point to who he really was. One final sign. One final sign. This sign is broken. This sign has been repaired over time. This sign is thinner and weaker than some of the other signs. That sign is a damaged sign. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping... And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. 
He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, do you know what's really interesting here? And I'm going to fascinate you with a bit of uh, Greek. I'm not going to try and pronounce the words, but I'm going to tell you where this comes from. So the original wording of this line, and remember this book was written, John's Gospel was written to Greek people to explain to them who Jesus was. And in this bit where he says he's deeply moved, they use this word that's used in common Greek language. So they'd have all known it. And this word that just evokes this kind of sense of like a, basically a horse snorting. It's this powerful emotional reaction. It's the power of emotion and feeling from the gut and the very within that Jesus displayed. Now for those Greek people who were very intelligent people, some of the greatest philosophers of all time were Greeks. They thought they knew everything about the world and about God. And for the Greeks, God was way above man. And by that, it means he was outside of things like emotion. Emotion was just down here and feelings for for God. It's down there. God is above all of that. So here we've got this book that as we've journeyed through it, has been telling these Greek people, this guy Jesus, he is God. He is God. And so they get to chapter 11 and they're going, yeah, I get it. Okay, this guy's God. Let's find out what he does next. What? He weeps. He has this gut-wrenching emotional reaction. God. The God who they thought was distant and far away comes to meet them in their pain. Comes to weep with them, shares in their emotion. It would have been a game changer for them. I think these are some of the signs that we can pull out for ourselves. So if this is you, if you're somebody who has access to everybody, you've got the amazing way of being, you are gifted in your Bible and teaching, then go and whack your sign anywhere you can. Get out there and do it. Some of you, some of you I know God is calling you to some things that are a bit different to what everybody else is telling you is the right thing to do. I've been so inspired by Fiona Pollard, who some of you will know, who was on staff team here at Greyfriars, and decided at the end of last year that God was calling her to step out and go and spend time praying. Not into some other paid role, not into some kind of job, not into some kind of secure thing, but just go and pray for Reading. Now any wise person would say, yeah, but why don't you go and get a job somewhere as well? But she didn't. She stepped out. She's followed God's call, and so many have done before. But sometimes it takes bravery, and it takes trust to step into it. I think this one for so many of us, where are you? Where do you spend your days? Who do you know? Who are your friends? Who do you come alongside? Nobody else could. Who do you find yourself standing next to, having a conversation with every day that nobody else has access to? 
And you could be that sign pointing towards Jesus. And if you think that's difficult, just persist. Look at me and Mark and how I just knocked every Sunday. I'd got no grand plan. I knew I had no idea what I was doing. I still don't. Or maybe this is you. Maybe your life has been full of hurt and pain. Maybe you're in a broken place. And maybe Jesus is inviting you to go and weep with others. Maybe as people look on and go, oh, Christians, they've got it all sorted. It's all all right for them. They're fine. It's not for me. Maybe your call is to go and show the world that God meets us in our brokenness. That Jesus weeps with them. And I think God's wanting to encourage some people today as well. He wants to encourage some of us who think that we can't do it, who think that we're no good, who think that we haven't got the gifts and the skills. If only we could be better, learn more. If an 11-year-old idiot can do it, it's me, by the way. You know, God has gifted and called each one of us to the place where we are the place where you are, where you will go back to after you leave here. There's a wonderful passage, isn't there? Uh, elsewhere in, I think, Matthew's, it's, the, it's on the Sermon on the Mount. Where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Not you will become the light of the world. Not when you've learned a load more things will you be the light of the world. But you are the light of the world. Let your light shine Let your light shine wherever you are. What an encouragement to us. That God has put us in places to let our light shine. And that's all we've got to do is be that pointer towards him and let him do all the rest of the work. So as I come into land, as I start, as I come into the end of this, I've got a few just practical thoughts I want to leave with you. The first one is this. Walk in the light. I'm going to read you uh, on page 1077, verse 9. Jesus answered, and this is as they were going to go, to, uh, go with him in this dangerous journey. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees this world's light. It's when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. Jesus is saying to them, as they're scared, stepping out on that journey with him, saying, walk with me. Walk in the light that I provide. Study scripture. Pray daily. Walk with Jesus. Know that you are loved and chosen by him. Point to Jesus. Don't forget to do that wherever you are. Point to Jesus. At the end of what we, or towards the end of what we uh, have read today, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, verse 41, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank, and this is all out loud, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And bear in mind here, there's crowds gathering around at this ceremony. 
Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Be out loud about your faith. I'm not saying you have to be a shouty evangelist type, but at least tell people. I heard a brilliant phrase recently, and it is this. Don't let anybody misappropriate the hope that you have. Don't let them see your light and think it comes from somewhere else. Tomorrow morning, tell them you've been to church. And then when they see what's different about you, when they see your pointing arrow, they'll know where it's pointing. I'd say look at your journey. Look at who you are. Look at where you've been. Look at what's happened in your life. Look at where you've found yourself. Because I think the the God who formed you in your mother's womb has not then abandoned you to work this out for yourself. I think as you look back across your life, you will see the places and the people that he's calling you to. To live in your unique calling. And I'd say finally this, an encouragement to act, go and do. David challenged us a couple of weeks ago to uh, go out and spend time with the homeless and the poor. To find Jesus there. I'd add to that. Go and spend time with your friends, your family, those who you know, those who you love. Jesus spent his final sign with those who he loved. Go and be a sign. Go and do, go and act, go work out and live out your calling and see the abundance of life that comes with it. Amen.